0: Please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 7 this evening. Revelation chapter 7. And as you're turning, I want to ask you to pray for a couple of our church family members. First of all, please continue to pray for Mrs. Searcy. Um, Mrs. Searcy, of course, does have cancer. We're praying that God will heal her. Um, but she was at the doctor today and had uh, was told that she would need to have surgery before the next uh, the first of June just for insurance purposes. So let's pray for the Circes that God will give comfort and help and grace in time of need. And then the, the Gardeners have asked prayer for the Creed's, that's Mrs. Gardner's parents, as they're going to be moving. They're going to move up first to be with the Gardeners for a short time uh, while a place is uh, prepared for them at uh, Mrs. Gardner's sister's house, and then they'll take the rest of the trip up um, later. So this is a big transition in the creeds life, and we love the creeds. They've been to our church many times. ask you to pray for them and for the gardeners as they aid their parents through this transition time. All right, we are looking forward to this coming Sunday and plan to meet Sunday morning. And we'll have more details on that tomorrow. We're watching the weather. We're hoping to get back inside the church building soon. But we'll give you more information about that, Lord willing, by Friday. Okay, Revelation chapter 7 is where we are this evening. And in an exciting series on the topic of heaven. This is our future home with the Lord. And last week spent some time looking at heaven being a real place. A real place. We'll, we'll touch on that in a moment. First, let's read Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21 altogether. Let's read it. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, I make all things new. Just as there is a heaven and an earth we live in right now, there will be a real place, the new Jerusalem, that is and has been prepared for us by the Lord. I believe the time when it was prepared was the cross. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. He was going to the cross. That's when room was opened and made available for us in heaven. When Jesus Christ took our punishment, gives us his righteousness, and all those who receive the Son are given life and are brought into the family of God. This heaven it is a real city, a real place; it is not floating around on clouds in the skies, playing the harps that would be uh, like giving a child a stone when he asks for bread or a serpent when he asks for fish to take away the the literal heaven the bible speaks of i think it's a grievous sin it's like stealing money from someone who's blind or stealing a wheelchair from an invalid it would be like giving a, a the bride a bouquet of poison ivy uh, heaven's a real place it's a real promise and it is a place that we're going to enjoy for all eternity it's not a state of mind it's not a soul sleep In Luke chapter 10 the disciples came back from their preaching tour. They were all excited because the devils were subject unto them. And in Luke chapter 10 verse 20 Jesus said, In this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Their names are written down they're citizens of another country. Now the the truth is that there is a real city, a real New Jerusalem that we are headed to. And it's, it's exciting to think about. As much as Nashville's a place, heaven's a place. Heaven, one person said, R.G. Lee is his name, heaven is the most beautiful place that the wisdom of God could conceive and that the power of Christ can prepare. Now, In Nashville, we have architecture. In Nashville, we have botanical gardens. But can any of these compare to God's city and the gardens of heaven? No, that's why the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, we've already read it, verse 5, I make all things new. And John points out, he says, He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, John, I want you to see this. I make all things new. Write it down, because these words are true and faithful. Now, fact is, human words cannot cannot relate in their eloquence. No human speaker can relate what heaven is like. Just like you can't fit the Mississippi River into a one-inch PVC pipe. There's no way you're going to be able to fit in a message or in a man's mouth a description of heaven... That is going to compare with what we have ahead of us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting, the word heaven, you know it. You know the Greek word for it. Uh, the word is Uranus. Uranus. Well, science discovered an element that was so different, so far beyond anything else on Earth they discovered, they named it after Uranus. It's uranium. There's a planet. Um, that was considered a heavenly planet. So different from, is the planet Uranus. Um, R.G. Lee speaks of this again, of how different heaven will be from anything that we're, we're used to when God said, Behold, I make all things new. R.G. Lee, the preacher, said, Our best music here on earth will sound like a bumblebee in a bottle compared to the music that will be there. Well, there have been eloquent preachers in the past who have preached on heaven. There have been eloquent preach- eloquent men in the past who were just gifted rhetoricians. John Calhoun, back in 1811, answered Randolph in the Senate chamber of the United States, and the editor of the Richmond Inquirer said that Calhoun had a Hercules presentation against his enemy, and came out clothed in light and his enemy in black. Clarence Darrow was another man who was very gifted and used his gifts of oration against justice when he defended two young men, Loeb and Leopold, for the murder of young Bobby Franks. And that um, crafty, cunning, and excellent orator pleaded that those two murderers were guilty before Judge Caverly. But he got permission to give evidence of their mental condition when they committed the crime so as to get them off. The trial lasted a month. The defense speech that Clarence Darrow presented lasted 12 hours. And when he was finished, in that crowded courtroom that people had fought to get seats in, tears were running down Judge Caverly's face. There was hardly a dry eye in the building. There have been great orators. Uh, One well-known in the past was from New Orleans, a Presbyterian preacher named Dr. Palmer. When gambling was becoming more popular in Louisiana life, Dr. Palmer gave a message against gambling and the lottery, and when he finished, men shouted themselves hoarse for over five minutes, Women waved their handkerchiefs, some have said, until they were in shreds. Well, if I could speak to you as convincingly as Calhoun did, so as the enemy was to be seen as in black and the truth in light, if I could speak to you as dynamically as Clarence Darrow did when he got the two murderers, Loeb and Leopold, off, if I could speak as as greatly as did Dr. Palmer and move could move thousands by my voice, I still couldn't touch the hem of the garment, of the glory of the New Jerusalem. Now, if we were just to look at what the Bible says will be in heaven, we would miss over half of God's description. You saw in our text, the Bible says... In verse number 4, "...and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying." Well, it goes through a number of things that won't be there. I would point you back to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7 speaks of the the 144,000 and many that came out of great tribulation. And in Revelation chapter 7, it says when those believers are in heaven, it says, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So you see, there'll be no hunger. There'll be no thirst anymore. There'll be no shortage. In more recent times, we've seen the shelves at Walmart go bare in some aisles. The eggs off the shelf. We've seen some of the staples, the bread. You couldn't find bread just because people panicked. There's times where there's been famine in the world, but the Bible says there will be no hunger anymore. No thirst anymore. Uh, this is both in Revelation 7 and in Revelation 21. Uh, 7 says God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Chapter 21 says there shall be. It says God shall wipe away all tears from our eyes. Our eyes uh, at that point. And it says there will be no more crying. So. Uh, There will be tears in heaven. Mark it down. Initially there will be tears. Then there comes the great white throne judgment. It doesn't say there will be no tears. It says that the tears will be wiped away. Uh, This is, uh, the Bible talks about the great white throne judgment and how witnesses will be called up. We will probably be called up as witnesses against the lost. Just as God said that he would call up the men of Nineveh. In the day of judgment against the people of that generation of Jews that that crucified the Christ. And there would be the Queen of Sheba would rise. Because she came so far to see Solomon. And Jesus had come to earth. And he was rejected. So there will be tears at the great white throne. And perhaps we will even be involved in being witnesses. Not that we want to be. Not that we desire to see people cast in the lake of fire. But God has a schedule and God will call witnesses and justice will be done. There will be no more tears eventually. We will cry, but there will be an end of tears. There will be, the Bible says, no night. No night. Again, we're looking at some things that won't be there just initially here as we get into our message this evening. You think about a time when the sun stood still in the Old Testament. Why did it stand still? Well, because they weren't finished with the battle, and the man of God asked God for more light. God stayed the sun in its place, and so they were able to finish the work. What does it mean that there's no night? Does it mean you don't get to sleep? Well, there's some of you right now that are tired. You're exhausted. Um, It means that you ever had times where you were going to do something, but you couldn't because you ran out of daylight? You ran out of hours. Well, there will be no interruptions. We'll be able to finish the work that God gives us to do in heaven. There's many things about heaven we don't know. We wish we did. Thousands of questions. Some have asked me, will there be animals in heaven? Well, there's some animals I like and some animals I'm not so fond of. Um, I don't know. Will there be weather in heaven? I hope so. But if it's not there, you won't desire it. Uh, What is heaven like? We're going to look this evening at just a couple matters of heaven. I want to point our attention to, number one, there will be real stability. Real stability. Now, as we get into the Word of God, we see that in chapter 21, the Bible talks about the city four square. And the walls are measured. And the Bible says in verse 19 of chapter 21 that the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. And it lists them, 12 of them, the foundations. And you begin to see that this city is a place of foundations, plural, real stability. Everything on earth is unstable. Now, I grew up in Pensacola. We had hurricanes that would come through. And I remember we had a very large tree right next to our house that we were braced. We had a brick house. We kind of hunkered down in the house. You know, you're staying in an inner room as the hurricane comes toward you. And I remember the hurricane came and the winds were so violent that the hurricane hit us head on. It leaned that large tree right up against our house, right into the, into the uh, roof line. And um, then it got quiet, eerie, yellow outside. We all went outside and looked. We were in the middle of the hurricane and it was deathly still. We looked at the damage that had been done in that tree that was leaning against the side of the house. And then we went back inside because the the contrary winds were coming as the other side of the storm was preparing to hit us. We all got back inside and hunkered down. And after the storm, we went out and it had kicked the tree back up off of our house and set it right back down in the ground. The roots on one side had been over a foot out of the ground. It was all set back. Of course, the tree had to be taken. But everything on earth is unstable. You know, you have water freezes and suddenly your concrete that is so strong is cracked. Remember when our I just put in a new mailbox and had it secure? I thought, and uh, oh, a short while later, it's leaning over. Given enough time, the second law of thermodynamics displays itself on Earth. Now you're familiar with the second law of thermodynamics. It's that everything on Earth tends to be moving from order to disorder. In other words, the more time you add to a closed system, whether it's stars or plants or animals or people, time changes things from orderly to disorderly, worse and worse, until things collapse. Uh, this is this is uh, the way life is on Earth. You drive the car off the car lot, and it decreases in value. It doesn't go up. You can tune it up. You can polish it while you're watching it become junkyard ready. We go to great efforts to upkeep ourselves physically and efforts to avoid death. Whether you're a young person doing chin-ups or later you're doing facelifts, the face eventually becomes creased and wrinkled and sags. And even the, the fake faith healer dies. It's appointed unto men once to die. But you know, the moment the... Bible-believing, born-again Christian, the moment you die, the second law of thermodynamics is no longer in effect. Now, on this earth, it is. The moment life leaves the physical body, the physical body, oh, the second law becomes very morbidly apparent. But in heaven, there's no further effects of that law of thermodynamics There's no breaking down of the body. In fact, the Bible says that the heaven is a place where moth and rust uh, does not corrupt. You know, there's a stability in heaven, isn't there? I'd like to point out that it's a foundational physical stability. And God makes a big point of this. In um, Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible talks about the first covenant when Mount Sinai shook And he says in the second covenant, not only would he shake earth, but heaven also. That would be the skies, the planets, outer space. But Hebrews 12 goes on and says, Wherefore we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, there is a foundational physical stability. And it's emphasized in the description of heaven with the many foundations. There's also in heaven an economic stability. Now this is on our minds a lot because of what's happening to our American economy as we go deeper and deeper into debt, and this, this coronavirus and all the things that have been done to try to help the American people have put our country deeper into debt, and things are a little bit more uncertain. Well, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 is a passage we ought to look at. Please turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 where the Bible says, Matthew 6, 19, "...lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust..." That word for rust has to do with that which eats. It eats away. "...where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal." There's two Greek words for thieves. One is the thief who steals openly. He's the highwayman, the robber. He says, hands up, reach! Well, this is the other kind of thief. This is the one whos he's a sneak thief. He gets in quietly under the cover of darkness and gets away. He's that Greek word klepto, the kleptomaniac, where that one who operates by stealth, thieves, they break through and steal on the earth. Verse 20, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Where neither moth, Nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through, nor steal. Now think of the categories. Moth, rust, and thieves. What God is saying is lay up treasures in heaven where your great enjoyment cannot be disturbed. There's a stability. Moth would cover all of animals. There's no animal corruption. Uh, there's, There's no chemical corruption with rust. There's no human corruption where thieves break in and steal. First Peter 1 says the same thing. It speaks of how God in his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, anyone know the next word? Incorruptible. And undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, it's safe there. It's stable there. It will not erode or corrode. It can't be taken away. And the Bible goes on and says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What's the point? It's that so often... If we have our treasure laid up here, that's where our heart is. When the stock market goes up, the heart goes up, the joy goes up, the oh, I'm so happy. And then when it goes down, the heart sinks. And our, our enjoyment of life can be tied to our physical around us if we're out of balance, out of kilter from what the Bible says. There's an economic stability in the New Jerusalem. There's also... The stability of orderliness, orderliness. Now, there is a stability that comes from having a place for everything and everything in its place. Uh, I think about how this past week I was working on replacing some flooring. I got out all my tools in advance that I was going to need. Uh, I got out the uh, all the pry bars and the hammers and, and everything I was going to need to get get the flooring up and then what I would need to put the new flooring in. I had everything laid out where I needed it. You think of a cook who gets all of the ingredients out and chops them up to the right level and has them everything in its place. Heaven is going to be everything in its place uh, perfectly organized because God is a God of order. And there, there is. is a stability to that. Uh, not only a stability... But number two, there is going to be a new understanding. A new understanding. Well, you could call it panoramic vision. Do you notice when you look at heaven that the Bible talks about how, it talks about the, uh, verse 18, the building of the wall of it. This is Revelation 21:18. the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. Then you read on about the stones, and most of them are translucent. You can see through them somewhat. Heaven itself, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 2, John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. It's, it's as though it hovers there above the new heaven, the new earth, excuse me. And so you have the city that it's higher and it's translucent. What a view. Everything will be made clear. We'll have a worldview from a heavenly perspective. Everything's going to fit. We sing of this in our hymns. We'll understand it better by and by. There'll be a better understanding. Or that him face to face has a verse that says, When the crooked things are straightened, and the dark things shall be plain. All will be made plain. Everything will fit. Here we're in the shadows. Then we'll be face to face. Well, this is, it's, it's as though there's so many things in life that don't make sense. Riddles will be unfolded. Doubts will be dispelled. Then we'll know things that we ought to have known here. There's some things we ought to know. We should know, but we don't. But we'll know things that we only know in part here. The Bible says we'll know more fully in heaven, First Corinthians 13. But we'll know also things that were beyond our ability to know down here. And we'll also we'll know things that never entered our mind. Now, we have to be careful because we will not know everything. We'll have a panoramic vision, but we will not be God. We're not going to be omniscient. We'll continue to learn. Pieces of the puzzle will keep coming together, th- together. throughout all eternity. There will always be a universe more to learn as we were so different from God who knows all things. I think of 1 Kings 4.29 where the Bible says, God gave Solomon wisdom. And understanding, exceeding much, and largeness of heart. What does it mean that God gave Solomon largeness of heart? It goes on and says, even as the sand that is on the seashore. Verse 33 of 1 Kings 4 says, and he spake of trees... From the cedar tree that's in Lebanon, even into the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spake also of beasts, and of fowl, and of creeping things, and of fishes. And there came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon. From all kings of the earth which had heard of his wisdom. The enlargement of Solomon's wisdom in his heart had to do with his understanding. Like George Washington Carver, who took a peanut... And found hundreds of things that could be made from the peanut. We're going to have an enlargement of our faculties. Constantly increasing, able to use them, the powers God's given us. Uh, Amazing to consider. We'll have, now it's true, we will have, third, not just a secure stability of a greater understanding. But we're going to be actively involved. Now, here's the question. What are we going to do when we get in heaven? Well, we're going to be active. We're not going to be floating around. I want to remind you of a story that many of you have read, Pilgrim's Progress, because he addresses this. What are we going to be doing? In the end of the first book of Pilgrim's Progress, Christian and Hopeful are speaking. And the question is asked, what must we do in the holy place? He's talking about heaven. What are we going to be doing in heaven? To whom it was answered. And I'd like you to listen to John Bunyan's understanding of what we are going to be doing in heaven. I think it's very interesting. To um, the question, it was answered, You must there receive the comforts of all your toil and have joy for all your sorrow. You must reap what you have sown, even the fruit of all your prayers. And tears as the fruit of all your sufferings for the King, by the way. In that place you must wear crowns of gold and enjoy the perpetual sight and vision of the Holy One, for there you shall see Him as He is. Bunyan goes on, he says, There also you shall serve him continually with praise, with shouting and thanksgiving, whom you desired to serve in the world, though with much difficulty because of the infirmity of your flesh. There your eyes shall be delighted with seeing and your ears with hearing the pleasant voice of the Almighty. There you shall enjoy your friends again that are gone thither before you. And there you shall with joy receive ones that follow you into the holy place after you. There also shall you be clothed with glory and majesty. And listen to this. And put into an equipage fit to ride out with the king of glory. He goes on. But the question is asked, They wanted to know, what are we going to do in heaven? Well, many things. We will be employed, no doubt. We'll have needs, but our needs will all be met. We're not going to be self-sufficient in and of ourselves. Autonomous. We're going to be dependent upon God, and He'll meet our needs. He'll supply all our needs. This is, it's fascinating to consider the way life will be in heaven. Because on earth um we sometimes we have we have desires but we don't have the energy to accomplish our our desires we don't have the strength to do what we need to do maybe we don't have the materials or the time you ever had a a project you you needed to get into but you really didn't have time to finish it so you never started it maybe maybe there's been there've been dreams of doing something but They've been frustrated because as you got older, you've run out of time. Or maybe you you have things that need to be done, but you don't have the money to do what needs to be done. In heaven, we'll have the materials and the time and the energy and the strength. The Bible even says that we will return to the days of our youth. I've I've told our, our church family before, but my wife and I have... Um, we have talked about whether or not we'll see our baby in heaven again as a baby or whether Anna Grace will be grown. Uh, she's stillborn and she's alive in heaven today. But will she be grown or still a baby? Well, Job thirty-three twenty-five says of those who die, his flesh shall be fresher than a child. almost sounds like Naaman coming up out of his leprosy, out of the water, Jordan, and having... The flesh of a child. His flesh shall be fresher than a child, says Job 33, 25. He shall return to the days of his youth. That word youth is rare. It's only used a few times. It's talking about peak strength. Well, we will have the strength to accomplish what we need to. Consider the activity of heaven in in a general way. We'll be intellectually active, no doubt. Finally, life is going to make sense. The earth, everything we went through, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. We're going to continue to learn throughout eternity. We won't have the frustration of forgetfulness. Pastor Lang is forgetful. I, I have lapses of memory, but there'll be no frustrations of of lapses of memory or of dullness or of being illogical. Uh, there'll be a, a use God, God will Allow our mind, I believe, to understand far more than we do, because we'll see him face to face. Then we'll know, even as we're known. Think of how curious we are about heaven even now. Well, In heaven, our curiosity will be fulfilled. There'll be a constant peaking of curiosity and fulfillment. Um, I, I wrote it this way will constantly be rising with interest in the ways of God, and the wonders of God, awestruck to the point of worship, will be filled with amazement at God's creativity and wisdom, baffled by his laboratory work. When we see the perfect, intricate designs and his loving attention to details that no human on earth had even seen that had been built in, Beyond all else, though, we will love him with a perfect love, with all of our mind, with all of our heart, because he first loved us. We will see how tenderly and compassionately God has watched over us and cared for us. There's things now that mentally we cannot handle. Some of you, Algebra was not your thing. You were not good at algebra. You chewed on it and chewed on it like beef jerky. It frustrated you and you chewed on it with sweat and labor and strain. Well, perhaps in heaven you won't chew on it. You'll drink it down easily and wonderfully. I know some of you, I just ruined heaven for you. Because you're saying, Pastor, don't tell me algebra is in heaven. Um, Well, I believe that our minds will be different. In fact... I believe that Greek and heaven Greek and Hebrew will be in in heaven because they were the language of the Bible and the Bible won't be thrown away the word of God will still be worth studying and reading and loving we'll have intellectual challenges we'll have physical activities uh, I believe that we'll serve the Lord with gladness there'll be joy in serving Jesus it's kind of like whistling while you work. we'll all whistle as we work we'll We'll serve God with a joy unspeakable. I want to close by just going over a few things we won't do in heaven. just uh wrap it up. You know we spend a lot of time confessing our sins to God, not to stay saved but just to as children of God to continue having right fellowship with Him. 1 John one nine. We feel like we wear it out if we confess our sins. We're so thankful he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Do you know in heaven there'll be no more confession of sin? You know in heaven there'll be there'll be no marriage, no marriage. The Bible says, in response to the question that was asked by the Sadducees, they asked this question um, to really to try to trick Jesus and trap him. The Sadducees came Matthew twenty two. And they were saying there was no resurrection, and they asked him, Well, well Master, what if there's a man who his he um he has no children and uh has this, this scenario if he dies without children and so his wife marries his brother, and then that brother dies, and there's seven of them, they all die. And they ask last of all, the woman dies. And the question is, therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Well, the scriptures spoke about the resurrection. Um, Job spoke of it. David spoke of it. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage. What does that mean? It says goes on and says, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Well, there's no confession of sin. There's also no marriage in heaven. So what does that mean? Does that mean when your earthly spouse walks by you in heaven, you just give her a glance and walk on? No, not unless you want to be kicked in the shin. Well, I don't think there'll be any kicking of shins in heaven. But the point is, that story is all about there was no child, there were no children, and so it was the, I don't have time to get into it now, but this Leveret marriage, there had to be a seed raised up, a son raised up, uh, and so there's this nearer kinsman who steps in to raise up a son. The whole point of the passage in saying there's no marriage in heaven or giving in marriage is to say that heaven will be fully populated, there will not be additions in heaven. There's, there's no procreation. There's no new members of heaven. Uh, there's no angels rocking baby angels in heaven. Uh, heaven will be complete in its number. So the Bible says that we will be we who are married are heirs together of the grace of God. Yes, we'll be together. Yes, we'll be heirs together, but the point of it was the, illustri- the illustration they asked is, what about when this couple can't have children, and so the, the Leveret marriage is taking place? And God's telling them that there is not marriage in heaven in the sense of a problem of not having children. No, this it's fully populated. There's no confession of sin. There's no marriage in the sense of of babies being born. And you know, last of all, there's no evangelism. Why would there need to be? The only ones in heaven will be those who are the born of God, the children of God. Hebrews 8 says in verse 11, They shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. This is the day to win the lost. This is the day to tell the good news. Because in heaven, it will only be God's children with God forever and ever. The family of God, heirs together with Christ, the Son of God, enjoying Him forever. Father, I thank you so much for this the Word of God, what you've taught us about the stability of heaven, how we'll have full understanding and be active, active in our work, active intellectually, active physically. And Lord, we confess our sins here, but we're so glad there's a day coming when our sins will be no more. And we're looking forward to being with you. Thank you so much for the Word of God and the promise of a reality of heaven to come for your children. we pray that if there's some listening to the sound of my voice who have not yet been saved, that they will not be so foolish as to live the short life on earth and then miss heaven because they've rejected Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. In whose name we pray, amen.